Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. Romans 5 and verse 6. Paul says here, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I titled this lesson today, He Loved Me Past My Sin. Amen. He loved me past my sin. You may be seated. Um, I think probably one of the most often preached messages uh, in pulpits all across our land today, not, I'm not just talking about Pentecostal churches, but churches in general, is about the love of God. Um, we like to preach about it. We like to talk about the love of God. It makes uh, for, for great messages. It, great, it, it makes our hearts feel good when we talk about the love of God. Uh, if you study the depth of His love, it really expands our mind because it's really difficult to understand why a God that's so pure could love people that are so impure. Amen. When you think about the magnitude of the level that God went to to express his love for humanity, uh, sometimes it almost becomes incomprehensible that God would love us the way he says he loves us. I don't believe God lies, but it, it's hard to comprehend that kind of love for people that are so flawed. I know that I've preached about this before many times, but the thoughts just keep coming back to me over and over again. Why does God love us? Amen. When you look in the mirror sometimes after you've had a, a big mistake in your life or a big flaw that's shown up or some horrible thing that you've done or said or act, uh, some way you've acted, you look at yourself in the mirror and think, how could God possibly love me? But let me tell you something. He does. Amen. Paul said, while we were still sinners, not when we got past our sin, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Not, you know, it, it would be easy to think about God loving us after we got everything taken care of. We cleaned ourselves up and did... Uh, acts of restitution for all of the evil things that we've done, it'd be kind of easier to think that God could love us then. But the Bible says here in this text that I read to you that while we were still sinners, not when we were good, not when we had cleaned up, but while we were there, there in our evil and all of our sinful conditions, that's when Jesus loved us. Amen. That's when he cared about us. Amen. Now, as you, as you stop there and think about that for a moment... If he had said Christ died for the, the morally pure, those that are always kind, that always do the right thing, the people that are perfect, the people that are good, die, or the righteous or the deserving, we could understand that. But when I read that Jesus died for sinners, for ungodly people, for unrighteous people, that doesn't make sense to me. It just, if it makes sense to you, then... then I don't know how you get there. It doesn't make sense to me. Amen. The ungodly. These are the ones that are by their very nature are, and the actions that, that they do in their lives. They're estranged from God. They're completely separated from God. Uh, they're, they're actually, if you would think about it in these terms, they're at war with God. They're constantly fighting against Him and doing things that are contrary to the will of God. They're alienated from Him. Uh, in one place, the Scripture says that uh, we are, in, in our sinful condition, we're at enmity with God. That literally means that we're actively opposed to or we're hostile towards Him. Every thought, the Bible says, in another place of, of our hearts, our sinful hearts are evil. <laughs> I mean... I'm not trying to depress you today. I'm just telling you, that's how that's the condition we were in that Paul talked about. While we were yet sinners, while we were still locked in that place, the Bible said that God loved us. In Genesis chapter 6, it says in verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every man's thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
Read it. God says, uh, he's looking down here and he said, I can't find anybody that doesn't have a heart that's not evil and not their thoughts are impure and all of their actions are, are, are wrong. I, I can't, they're, they're, these people are powerless to do anything right. They're powerless to do good. But here's the, here's the beauty of all of this, that God did not wait until we were good to love us. He loved us past all of that. He reached past our sins. He loved past our iniquity. He loved past our unrighteousness. He loved us while we were still sinners. So, when we think about all of that and look at ourselves, is there any reason in me why God should love me? The answer would be, He simply loves me because He's God. Amen. I'm thankful that He doesn't think the way we think. Because if God... You know, I I realize that God took himself and put himself in human form, but I'm I'm thankful that he did not. The Bible talks about the form of God, but it also talks about the mind of God. And I'm glad that God kept the mind of God. (laughs) Amen. He didn't didn't take on the the mind of a man or a human being because we are so limited in our scope uh, of reason and and we, we, we have... Uh, places where we can go to it and, and stop loving after that because of, of things maybe somebody said to us or done to us. God never has stopped loving. He's never stopped loving. Amen. Uh, he simply loves us because he's God. That's all the more reason, uh, obviously, uh, if you're looking at this logically or, or to reason why he shouldn't, but because he's so pure and so uh, so good and so right. Amen. He, he loves past the sins that we commit. Amen. Does it make sense that a, a perfect God would make man knowing all the while that the man that he created would fail and, and stop loving him or never love him for that matter? There's people in the world today that don't love God at all. They, they've never even started loving him. And, uh, it, it, and, and yet God looks at them and loves them in, in the condition that they're in and, and all of the, the faults that they have. He still loves them. Um, and, and, you know, when, as, if I'm going to follow this track, does it make sense that God would make a sinless world, create a sinless place, and into that place allow sin to come into it? Amen. I believe... And I've said this many times, but I believe it's all about choice. Because here's the thing. God didn't want you to love him just because you had to. Amen. He wanted you to love him because you wanted to. Amen. He, he, he allowed this all to happen so that you and I could make a choice uh, about love. He, he, it's his choice and our choice. Amen. He chooses to love us in spite of our sin. He chooses to love us in spite of all of our wrong. But we choose, we have to make a choice too, whether we're going to love him or not. And so the choice is his and it's ours. It was his choice to create us, uh, to create man. It's our choice to serve the God that created us. It's his choice to love us uh, without any exception, without any boundaries. Amen. It's our choice to return that love. Incredible work that he did, the amazing work that God did. When God said, let there be, and there was, and all, all of the things that he did. And, uh, he, he did all of this to create a perfect world for us to live in. Sin was then allowed uh, to enter the perfection of God's creation. Amen. Now, don't forget that sin tried to enter the very throne room of God before all of this happened. Amen. He, Satan tried to overthrow God. He thought he was going to be equal to God and thought he could overthrow God. He kind of liked what was going on there and on the throne and he wanted to be on that throne. And he tried to, to overthrow God and, and, and because of it, he was cast out of the presence of God, eternally out of the presence of God. But he also formed, God also formed a plan before he ever spoke one word of creation. And that plan was for the redemption of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Didn't matter what, what your social background was. Didn't matter what part of the world you came from. Doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. If you're educated or uneducated, God had a plan for every person to be saved. Every person. Amen. Amen. 
Now, what a beautiful thing that, that and, and on top of that, God's plan did not only include a, a place for us to be saved, but he, he wanted to make a plan to eternally destroy sin. Amen. Eternally destroy it. And when God formed man from the dust of the ground, he put everything into that man that he would need to survive. It's incredible. When you think about, uh, and I'm not just talking about in the natural, I'm talking about both natural, and, or I should say I'm not just talking about the spiritual, I'm talking about both natural and spiritual. God put everything in us that we need to survive. We, have, we, we are adaptable people. We can, you know, it's amazing how that people can adapt to certain climates. I think the older I get, the harder it is for me to adapt to certain climates. But uh, God put this uh, in us, the ability to survive and, and, and to find things that we need to live. But part of the, 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 the survival plan of God was choice. Now, that may sound strange to you, but just follow with me today. Uh, he, put, he gave us the opportunity and the ability to choose. Amen. Now, let me boil it down to its simplest form. We all make choices every day. Amen. Choice is just a part of our life. You chose whether you wanted to get up and come to church this morning. You know, it was a gloomy, gray morning. Uh, I got up this morning and I was getting ready for church and I happened to walk past the, the bed and I looked, I looked over at my wife and I said, boy, that bed looks really comfortable this morning. But you know what? I made a choice to come here. You made a choice to come here this morning. You, you, you make choices every single day of your life. You choose uh, all kinds of things in your life. And so choice is a part of the survival plan of God. The angels were created with one sole purpose, and that was simply to serve God. That they had no other, uh, there is, they have no choice. They're either going to serve Him or they're going to be destroyed. Amen. Uh, they were created with one purpose. The devil rebelled against God, and, and one third of the angels uh, uh, followed his, his lead, and because of that, they were cast out of the presence of God. They, 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 they didn't, well, you could call that choice, but they were created for one purpose, and that was to serve God. That was it. They didn't get a chance uh, you, know, you can call it choice if you want to, but the difference between that and what we have is how many times do we make mistakes and yet God still comes back and allows us to repent and ask God to, or, or ask Him to forgive us of our sins. Amen. He doesn't cast us out of His presence because we make a mistake or fall. Amen. So there's a big difference in the angels and us. Amen. God didn't get, he never wanted that to happen again. So he made man, the Bible says God made man in his own image and his likeness. Amen. We were, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to follow through on this this morning in detail. But if you think about it, when in, in the terms that, that Genesis talks about, and then go over into the latter chapters of the Bible, it talks about it again. But it says that God made man in his image and he made him in his likeness. And those are, Two distinct words. One of them is talking about characteristics. One of them talking about personality. We were made to be, in the beginning, we were made to be just like God. Have you ever thought about that? There was, we, had, we didn't have any sin in us. There was no sin in Adam and Eve. They didn't do anything wrong until the Bible says in, in, in that when God gave them instructions in the garden, He said, listen, there's, I've planted the fruit in the, in the, in the garden and there's, you have a choice to make. There's one tree in there that you can eat of everything you want to in that garden, but there's one choice that I'm going to give you. you there's one tree there that I don't want you to eat of. Now, God could have said, you can if you want to, but in the day you eat of it, everything's going to change. What he did say was, the day you eat that tree, if you do it, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Prior to... Think about this just a moment. I, I, I have to, I don't want to get bogged down here, but I, I have to say this. Before that, Brother Dan, death, the process of death was not in their body. They could have, listen to me. He didn't say the process of death has started in you now. He said in the day you eat the fruit, you'll die. They, remember this, they were like God in every way. And so they, in, in their sinless condition, in, their, in the perfection of where they were, they could have lived eternally. 
Because God said the day you make the wrong choice is the day that everything stops for you. Now, obviously, they didn't die that day. But the process of death started in their body. And because of that, you and I know what age, the process of age and death feels like. And, and, and so here they were in that, in that, in that, in that place. And, and, and God, but God instituted choice because he knew that there would be people that would choose to follow him. And he knew there would be people that chose not to follow him. But God said, I want people that love me. I want people that will step out of, uh, out of the, 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 the elements of this world and make positive choices to serve me. Amen. Even in the midst of all their struggles, in the midst of their turmoil, I know they're going to have problems. I know that. That's why John said in the book of Revelation, he talked about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. Revelation 3.18. He said, there were, I, I've got a plan for, for this because I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a choice there. And know what? Amen. And so if, when we think about it, we think, well, why did God do that? He made us perfect in his image. He, we, he, we could have stayed that way. But let me tell you something. I don't, want, I don't want to have to serve God because he forced me to serve him. Or God doesn't want that. God doesn't want me to say, you're going to serve me. You have no choice in the matter. Because where's the love at in that? That's not love. Amen. And so he says, I want somebody that will step away from all of the, th the choices that they could make that, for the other side. And I want them to make the right choice and say, I love you, God. And I want to serve you. I want to give you my life. That's why God was able to look past our sins. Because he knew that there would be people that would make choices. He knew that on this day, the 29th of, of December in 2019, that there would be people sitting in, in churches that have made conscious choices to serve God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. There's, there's people, I, I, I don't want to pick on you guys, your guests here today, but I, I, I look back here, here's, here's, a, here's a family that's on vacation or on a visiting family here. Nobody knows they're here. They could have stayed home this morning and said, we don't need to go to church. Nobody knows whether we do or not. But here they are in the house of God. You see, that's choice. That's what God's looking for. People that, what, what, in spite of everything that, that you could choose, you choose to serve God. That expresses love in greater terms than, than any book that could be written. Amen. With all of the, the temptations that are out there, with all the choices that you and I could make, you're choosing to serve God. Sometimes it's in the face of, uh, of persecution, and sometimes it's in the face of, uh, of people that, you know, fight against you to serve. You just keep serving God. Amen. Hallelujah. We were not made like the angels. We were made to act and function like God. Listen to what John says in 1 John 3 and 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it <coughs> knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like he is. And every man... Now, let me pause there for just a minute. I, I'm going to read on here, but uh, this is what I was talking about. We started out in the beginning being like God, cre being created like God. Remember, the Bible talks about this all through the, the book from the beginning to the ending. God worked on the old Israelites about, you know, being better than they were. And he's and then in the church age, he talked about being better than they are. And he, he's he's constantly talking about striving or reaching or fighting for perfection. And so God's trying to bring us back full circle to the place where Adam and Eve were when they were first created. And so when John writes this, he says, we're the sons of God. And he said, it, we don't understand. Or he, when he says these terms, it doth not yet appear. In other words, we can't really see or know what we're going to be like after this transformation takes place in us. So, I mean, this mortal putting on immortality. 
All of the, the things that we now suffer with in this body are going to pass away. And so John says, it doesn't appear what we'll be. I can't see yet what we're going to be like, but I know this. I know this. And here's the promise. We, I, he's, when we, he shall appear, we will be like him. We'll be like him. Wow. This, this, the choices that you're making now are the things that are, are propelling you to become like God. Amen. He says you are the sons of God. You're created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. You'll think like Him. You'll talk like Him. You'll act like Him. There'll be things that you'll do uh, after that transformation takes place that you can't do now in your body. We, we mourn and, and weep when, when somebody passes away. But the Bible says how beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of His saints. You know why? Because they have reached that state of perfection. They've crossed this, this veil of tears, this place of, of heartache and, and, and suffering and, and temptation. And that, that saint, the, the beauty of, of this to God is this. They have finished the journey. Their, their last choice has been made. And now they're like God. They reached the perfection of what He created for them in the beginning. So we weep because that person, we think that we're never going to see them again or they're gone from our presence. But I'm telling you something, God's rejoicing. Amen. God's rejoicing when, when a saint passes on from here to there. It's not, I understand our tears. I understand the sadness because we've had that person around for a while. We've grown, grown accustomed to them. But I have buried loved ones. I've buried brothers and, and, and parents and, and people that I love very dearly. I buried them and, and stood at the graveside weeping. Not, not because I was sad that, uh, for, for them. I was just sad for me. Amen. We don't, we don't weep for them. How beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of His saints. We rejoice. We rejoice. God rejoices. There's another one that's reached perfection. Another one has reached perfection. Another one has re reached perfection. That's why Malachi said, they, they shall be mine, saith the Lord, in, that la in the last days, when I make up my jewels. He's completed the process in another one. Uh, 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 you know, when we look at, at that word jewels, it's literally that what he's talking about there. In the likeness of a, a precious stone. You know, a diamond, is, they talk about uh, what it takes to make a diamond. I don't, know, is, I don't know what's considered to be the most precious stone in the world. I think rubies are. Because rubies are... Are are they're they're more more rare than than a, a diamond, and they're in it. Take the process of time to make a ruby; it takes much longer. But to, you think about the uh, if you I don't know if you've ever studied this, but just you know diamonds are, are common. Uh, probably every married woman in here has one, um, and some of you that aren't married probably have one. But uh, it, it, a diamond is something that it takes. They say it takes centuries to make. Now, they've learned how to replicate that in, in uh, what do they call these? Uh, yes, it takes a lady to know that. Cubic zirconian, is that, they replicate diamonds. But even, even, that, even then, they can take that, that and lay it beside a, a precious stone that has come out of the earth. And they say there's no comparison. Now, when, when the Lord talks about us as being his jewels, think about the terminology that takes to to say that because it there's a lot of pressure that goes into make to developing you and and there's a lot of things that you go through and there's a lot of time that it takes and it's not just it doesn't just happen in, in a lab it just doesn't happen in a, in a day it, there's a lot of things that go into that and so when God says uh, I, I'm watching you become perfected that's why the Bible says that that he rejoices at the death of the saints he he's he's happy when they when they come he he understands our grief that's I think that's kind of why there's a mixed reality stood in front of uh, some of it was because of unbelief all of a sudden in that moment he understood grief his friend had died um, but he also rejoices because he knows you've made it 
This is the process that I started in you, and this is why I started that process, to, to bring you to full completion. Amen. And so uh, we, we walk into this. And so uh, John says here, we don't know what, what we're going to be like. I can't tell you because I can't see it yet. But he said, I know this. We're going to be like him. And, and then he goes beyond that. And he talks to us that are still here. He said, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. If I'm going to be like him, I've got to keep working on this man to make myself more like him every day. There's a, there's a theology in the world today. Well, it doesn't matter what you do or how you live or what happens. You can live any way you want to and God's just going to love you. That's not what this says. That, this says if I have hope that I'm going to be like him, then I need to be purifying myself. I need to separate myself from, from this world. And, and I need to step out of the. There is a reason why we preach holiness and separation from the world. Because holiness is necessary to become like God. He's a holy God. There's no fault in, in sin in Him. Amen. Amen. So separation from the world and, 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 and these things of the world. He said we purify ourselves because He's pure. And verse 4 said, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. If you stay prayed up and on fire for God, living for God, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be easy. The devil's going to fight you every time you go to a prayer meeting. Amen. It, 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 Nobody, the Bible doesn't say this. No, I hope you have never heard anybody say this, that once you get the Holy Ghost, it's just going to be all honey and pie from there. It's going to be, it's a battle. And you have to fight it every day. Amen. And so we, we, need to, we need to understand that sin is always right there at the door. And every single time I go to pray, uh, the devil wants to drag me away from my prayer time. He wants to interrupt my prayer time. He wants to stop me from praying. Amen. And, and, but, but you have to understand this. We have to, we have to fight this. Verse 5, you know that he was manifested or shown to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knoweth him. Little children, let no man deceive you. <coughs> he that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil uh, sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of, man, of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil." Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he talk, when he said his seed, he's talking about the seed of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, I want to touch on this verse because I don't want anybody to be confused. Oh, I got the Holy Ghost. That means I can never sin again. You st this is still, a, I talked about choice. This, you still have a choice to make. Amen. You, you can sin, but Jesus said, I, I, that when the spirit of truth has come, it will lead and guide you into all truth. It draws you into righteous thinking. It draws you. You see, if you're staying full of the Holy Ghost, it's hard to sin. The, pro the problem of it is a lot of people aren't staying full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay, I'm going to just get real plain for just a couple of minutes here, and then I'll get off of it. But you can't, you can't exist on one prayer meeting a week. And by prayer meeting, I'm not talking about what we do on, on Monday nights at the Fedosis house. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your personal prayer life. Amen. You can't exist on that. You can't. It, it's impossible. You can't exist on that any more than you could exist on one meal a week. You try it. Go down to McDonald's tomorrow morning, buy yourself a happy meal, go home and eat it, and then try to live until next Monday morning. Do that for a few weeks, watch what happens. Your body's just going to start deteriorating, and pretty soon you're going to die. 
We think we can get by without praying. We, you can't get by without praying. So what he's talking about here is if you're full of the Holy Ghost, on fire for God, live it, you stay full of the Holy Ghost by praying through. Amen. You pray in the, in the Holy Ghost. Paul said that you need to build up your most holy faith yourself on praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit. Praying and talking to God. Amen. I, 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 I like to go off by myself and, and, and just find times to pray. Just uh, go into a room by myself, away from my wife, away from the, everything, and just pray. Just, just pray. Just talk to God. I don't have to scream and holler. I, I can assure you, most of the time, my wife doesn't even know I'm praying in there. I need that. You need that. And so when he talks here about uh, the, 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 the Holy Ghost and, and not being able to sin if you are full of the Holy Ghost, of course you can. If the Holy Ghost is dominant in my life and leading me, there's no room for me to sin. It's when I start slipping and failing in areas of my life. It's slipping in my consecration, slipping in my Bible reading, slip. Uh, come on, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to jump down here because I'm going to run out of time. Um, there, he talks about a lot of things about loving uh, God and loving the Word and not hating your brother and so forth, so on and so forth. But uh, he 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 deals with all this in the in the Scripture and and he comes down to the the end uh, of this chapter. He says, and let, let me jump down to verse 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Let me tell you something, that's, that's, that's it in its purest form. We have the seed of God in us as long as we live by his commandments. There's the key. As long as we live by his commandments. I don't care. You can come down here to this altar and pray and speak in tongues for an hour. And get up and go out there and live any way you want to live. It's the commandments that we have to follow. It's, it's, it's tapping into the, the, the promises of God. And, and God says, listen, if you'll do this and this and this and this, I'll do this. It's all through the Old Testament. Amen. It's all through the Old Testament. There are two reasons why God loves us. First of all, we are his sons. <laughs> you love your kids. Amen. How many parents are in the room? Raise your hand. How many of you parents, has any of you, do any of you have a child that never broke any of your laws or rules? Any of you? I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. Most of you didn't even have to think about it. How many of you have children that have broke your laws a lot of times? How many of you stopped loving them? You see, the, the reason why God loves us, we are the sons of God, or the children of God. Amen. And then number two, and this is important that you remember this. The reason that he loves us is that we can choose to lo love him and serve him. We have that choice. Amen. Now, we have to remember that sin has been present in this world ever since Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And it will be here until he purges the world in the end. Um, Job said in Job 14 and 1, he said, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. <laughs> Amen. If, you, if, you're, if you're here this morning, that Job said you're, you are a few days on this earth and you are full of trouble. Amen. I love my grandbabies, but I've watched my grandbabies be, I, I, and I, I mean, I don't know if anybody loves their grandkids more than we do, but I've watched my grandbabies be monsters. I mean, just, 
In fact, I've even thought, Brother Barry, sometimes, Mama, you better take him in there and work on him or I'm going to. But I love those kids. I mean, I love them. I, I, I have this, I just, my wife and I just, we love, we love kids. And, and, you know, they're just something about being around children. Uh, but I know exactly what Job was talking about because you don't have to teach a child how to be bad. They can be bad all by themselves. You don't have to give them lessons in it. I never took my kids in, in, in a room and set them down and say, okay, we're going to teach you. I've, I've tried to teach you how to be good, but now I have to teach you how to be bad. I never had to do that. We, we've taught many lessons on how to be good, but I never one time, Brother Dan, had to teach them lessons on how to be bad. They learned that all by themselves. Job said there are few days and full of trouble. Amen. I used to have a full head of dark hair. Amen. Now, part of this is age, and part of this is just raising a family. Amen. And so it's just part of our nature. We do things in our nature. Amen. Paul, or, or David, uh, you know, I look at this man, and uh, if prior to David's sin, I'm not going to belabor that point, but prior to his sin, you look at David, and it, it almost seemed like he was a perfect person. I mean, honestly, when you, you, you read about him as a, as a young boy, everything he did was good. And, I mean, he, he, he just, you never find him doing anything wrong, ever, ever. I mean, he was just incredible. As a boy, he had a relationship with God. But David... There was a, something that happened in book a man, not David, but a man really is. A choice. A choice. David was, he got to the place in his life where he would, you know, he had won all kinds of battles. He, he was a very victorious king. He, I mean, he, he, he defeated all their enemies. And finally, David got to the place where, for lack of a better way of saying it, he got lazy. I'm just going to stay home. I'll send the, the battle. I'll send the warriors out there. He was the, he was the uh, epitome of a warrior. I mean, they followed him because he, David, knew how to win wars. David stayed home. That was his first choice. Should have been out doing what he was supposed to be doing. Leading the army. That was, what he, that was his job. That was what he was supposed to do. He should have been there, but he didn't, he didn't go there. That was the first choice that he made that was probably the wrong choice. And the next choice he made was looking where he shouldn't be looking. And, and one, I don't know how long this, this, this horrible part of his life lasted. But, you know, from the start to the finish of it was just one bad choice after another. Prior to that, David, I'm telling you, when I read David's story prior to that, I mean, honestly, he looked about as perfect as you could be as a human being. Don't read it where he ever gave his parents trouble. He never gave the king trouble. He never did anything wrong, in, ever. Even in the midst of when the, the king, Saul, David now knew he was anointed to be king. And, and he, he knew that this was going to happen at some point in his life. It happened when he was a boy, just out ten and sheep. And it was decades before David ever got to the throne. But he maintained his integrity. He never did anything wrong. I'm going to tell you a little secret. You better guard yourself every day of your life. The Bible says, let he who thinks. He thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Amen. Because the devil will find you at a weak moment in your life. And I don't care how many prayer meetings you had before that, and how many lions you killed, and how many bears you killed, how many giants you killed. There can always be that one day when you're not prepared. And it was that one day. Amen. I don't know if David had stopped praying the way he had prayed before because he was a prayer warrior before. He wasn't just a warrior on the battlefield. He was a prayer warrior. He prayed. He talked to God. 
And I don't know if he had stopped praying. I don't know what happened, but something happened in David's life. And he had this horrible space of time that he, he committed one mistake after another, after another, after another. But here's the thing that you have to remember. God could have killed him. God could have said, you're done, David. In fact, he sent Nathan the prophet, told him this little story about somebody stealing somebody had all this guy has all kinds of sheep but he goes and steals his neighbor's little prize sheep tells him this story david says well i want to know who that guy is because he's going to be called to task on this i mean as king david could have put him to put it put it the guy to death and uh, he's furious about this and david st- sitting there and the old prophet nathan's looking at him and he says you're that You're the guy. You're the one. David condemned himself in that moment because he said that guy ought to be put to death. And yet God loved him past his sin. David, in that moment, jumps up, runs to the the temple, grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. The altar has these golden horns on the and and, and there's there's I, I don't need to go into this but there's a whole lot about that in the in the scriptures and, and he grabs a hold of that altar and he hangs onto the altar and starts pleading for mercy from God and from listen to me from that day to the day that David died David never forgot how to cast himself upon the mercy of God. He did it time after time after time. In fact, in, in Psalm chapter 51, this, that psalm was written, that's one of the most, to me, one of the most poignant psalms that, that there is uh, uh, when related to this matter. And, and David, he, he goes, this is, that was written years and years and years and years down the road after his sin, and yet David still searching his heart every day, digging inside him. More than once in the Psalms, we find David saying, search me, O God. Look in my heart and see if there's something in me that shouldn't be there. Try me and see if there's any wickedness in me. But in this particular Psalm, Psalm 51, he he cries out and he said, have mercy upon me, O God. Uh, Listen to this. According to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. And he throws himself not upon... The law, he throws himself upon mercy. He said, God, there's a place in you, a place of kindness and mercy, and that's where I want to be. He said, blot out my transgressions. He said, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou judgest. And then he said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He confesses that he knows that sin is in him. So in this part of David's life, when we think that David's so perfect and so pure and he's always doing things to please God and everything he does, he prays about it and he fasts about it. I mean, he's always doing everything right. We find that David is human just like the rest of us. But one thing that David showed us in this that we have a merciful God. Amen. Hallelujah. There, there's, there, there's more and more scriptures, and I could read more scriptures about that, about none that do good and, and the, the evil that's inherent in man. There's nobody that's really good. And when you look at all of that, it doesn't sound too good for any of us. But Jesus became the expression of love that God felt for all of humanity. First or Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That means it holds on tight to us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And he that died for all, that they should live, or they which should live, not henceforth, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, we were all condemned to death already. We had no hope 
But we had somebody that died. In verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation." Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I could not do this for myself. But you see, when we... when we he, the, the scriptures are full in the New Testament, especially where... If we come to him and, and confess our sins, he's faithful to us. He forgives us our sins. It's an act of, of contrition, but it is a choice. In our, in our natural self, in our natural state, nobody likes to admit they're wrong. How many of you love admitting you're wrong? I didn't see any hands jump up. Nobody likes to admit they're wrong. The choice that God gives us is to be, for us to walk into his presence and say, I'm wrong. I admit it, God. I'm wrong. It's, it's the, one of the most difficult things we can do to tell, tell, tell somebody else that we are wrong. That we've done something horribly wrong. The criminal courts are full knowing full well that everybody in that courtroom knows that they did the, the, the crime. And yet they'll say, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But when we have this opportunity to walk into the presence of God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I broke, the, I broke your law. I broke your covenant, God. I've done things against you, God, that are, that are, that are evil and wrong. And God, I'm standing here today confessing my sins. The, it, the beauty of that to God is that we're not trying to hide anything. We're, 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 we're stepping away from... See, the devil wants you to hide that and cover it up and act like nothing's wrong. But, but the beauty of it, this to God is that we, we leave the devil behind and say, Devil, you leave me alone because I know I'm wrong and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my God I am wrong. And we go before him and we just confess our sins and tell him. The beauty, that's the powerful beauty of repentance. Because when we confess it, God said, Okay, I already knew it was there. But now, because of your confession, I'm going to forgive you for it. I'm going to forgive you for it. Amen. You say, well, I've, done, I've sinned so much, I don't know if God could forgive me, Pastor. I, I just don't know if that's possible to, to get forgiveness because I've, I've spent my life sinning. I've done all kinds of bad things in my life, and I just don't know if God could ever forgive me for all of these things that I've done wrong. Well, let me, let me just clarify that in your mind this morning. And I hope when you walk out of here, you feel differently about this. But the Bible says that there was a time when... when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, let me, let's ask, we want to ask you a question, Jesus. Said, if, if our brother forgives us seven times in a day, should we forgive him? Now, there's an old, this goes to an old Jewish law and custom. And they were bringing up this custom to Jesus. And Jesus looked, listened to their question and he said, well, I'm going to say something to you that might surprise you, but I'm going to say this. I'd say that you should forgive him seven, 70 times seven in one day. I'm just going to conjecture here with you a little bit if I can. It'd be pretty hard for you to do me 490 times wrong in one day. That'd be very difficult to do. You think? Jesus said... If they wrong you 70 times 7, 490 times in one day, you need to forgive them. In another place, he said, if your father knows how, if you uh, carnal men know how to give good gifts to you, will your heavenly father give to the, them that ask him? If, if God tells me I have to forgive my brother 490 times in one day, 
You, let me just say it this way. You haven't sinned enough too much for God to forgive you. The devil wants you to believe that you have. Amen. Well, I've, I've asked God to forgive me of this habit that I've got. I've asked him probably a hundred times, if, if, if not more, and, and I, I keep picking it back up. Pastor, the God couldn't possibly forgive me. He said 70 times 7 in one day. He's trying to express to you, you can't exceed what I can do. He didn't say that's the boundary. He said that's what you ought to do. God does far more than what He asks us to do. I'm just going to say this to you today. Stop letting the devil tell you God can't forgive you. He loved you before you sinned and knew you were going to sin. But He loved you past that sin. Well, hallelujah. I could stop right now and start preaching. Because I'm thankful that we have a God that loves us that much. It's, it's an exponential love. There is no, you can't put boundaries on that kind of love. The power of forgiveness to forgive you when everything says you should be condemned to die. And yet his love reaches beyond that and he forgives you and loves you in spite of what you've done. Hallelujah. Stand with me. I've, I've got so much more here I was going to touch on, but I, I think you've got the point. The fact of the matter is this. You can't do so much that God will stop loving you. I've got a, I've got a hunch that the day of the rapture, when God finally says it's time to take the church, I have no scripture to back this up, but the Bible tells me that if I believe what the Bible says, that it's not His will that any perish. That the day of the rapture of the church, that God's coming back and taking His church, but He's going to do so with grief, knowing that there's going to be lost people. Because He loves that much. He doesn't want... He doesn't want anybody. He doesn't want the murder to be lost. He doesn't want the drug abuser to be lost. He doesn't want the pedophile to be lost. He doesn't want he he doesn't he doesn't want anybody to be lost. He he wants everybody to be saved. Everybody. And so when the devil comes and tells you that God doesn't care about you and that God wants he, he's ready to destroy you because all you are is one prayer away from redemption. If, if you went out and did something horrible yesterday and you know it's, 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 it's just a terrible sin in the eyes of God, you are one prayer away from redemption. That's how much God loves you. And guess what? When he died on the cross of Calvary, he knew that you, who you would be. He knew what you would do. And he loved you not in your sin, but past your sin. He saw you as sinless people because of the blood that he shed for you. And he loved you past all the sins in your life. That's, a, that's, how, that's the kind of God we serve. And we ought to be eternally grateful to him.